Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. Amen. Um, Thank you. And thanks to Rufus on slides. He has a bit of a job today because my slide person is away this weekend, Stephen, and I have made a bit of a mess of slides, so we'll just work with it. Um, okay. We started, Dave started last week our new series, Practicing in the Way, looking at nine ancient practices that root us and deepen our experience of God as we serve our world. And he spoke to... Um, all of the practices, and I suppose it, it, what we're doing in the Lex, it's going to take us probably a year and a half because there's nine practices and we're not going to rush our way through them. But it reminded me of that wisdom in Jeremiah 6, verses 10 to 12. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. And so I hope that Last week, this week, and the next two weeks, we're looking at the practices of Sabbath, and I hope that as we start to imbibe them in our lives, that we find rest for our soul. So that is what I'm going to speak to this morning. Last week, Dave did a mammoth preach where he did an introduction, and he talked about the Sabbath practice of stop, and this week I want to talk about rest. So the nine practices we're working our way through, Sabbath, prayer, fasting, solitude, scripture, community, simplicity, generosity, and hospitality. And we'll probably take four weeks on each practice, so we're going to take our time. Today it's on Sabbath, week two of the four weeks, a day of rest by which we cultivate a spirit of restfulness in all of our lives. And that is what I hope we are going to start to do. And now I need to just change my slides, so bear with. I want to start by this quote from John Ortberg. It'll come up behind me. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives rather than actually living them. And I wonder if you were to stop and just pause today, would you think, actually, I'm simply skimming my life. I'm going from one thing to the next. I'm not living out of a place of rest and confidence and peace. And will you look back in time and wonder about your lives? I've quoted her before, but I love this book by Bonnie Ware. And she's written, she spent all of her life working with um, those who were at the end of their lives. And she wrote a book and she talked about the five top regrets of the dying. I wish I had let myself be happier. I wish I didn't work so hard. I wish I had stayed in touch with friends. I wish I'd lived a life that was true to myself. And I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Those were the five themes that came across her lifetime of work. People at the end of their days who suddenly looked back and had these regrets. 
And the invitation to us as the followers of Jesus, as the disciples of Jesus, is to look at the ancient wisdom and the paths and think, is this the life that I want? Is this the life that I'm called for? Or how will I feel if I go to the end of my days and I look at how I spend my days and my weeks? When I was a kid, um, we lived, grew up, and in those days, most of you won't remember them, but in the holidays or on Saturdays, children got up and they headed out and they came back when it was dark or hungry, whatever came first. Those were good old strange old days, <laughs> but that's what we did. And there was a glen that was quite behind where we lived and I spent weeks of my childhood in that glen in a little river, you know, throwing stones in, walking across it, building logs, doing all sorts of things. But one of my favourite things to do was to sit and to watch the water and to look at how clear it can be and that you can see to the bottom and maybe you see a tadpole or maybe you see a fish and you see the stones and it's all clear and everything, you get it, you look like you understand everything. And then suddenly someone steps into it and the mud silts up and it all gets muddy and you just, nothing makes sense and you can't see. But if you wait, if you wait, it will all settle. We'll all settle and you'll see everything as you should again. And I wonder, is that a metaphor for life? I wonder if that idea of sitting at the water and waiting for it to settle is a metaphor for how we can live well in these days. Do we stop in this, this hurried life and just let things settle? Or do we wait and wait for the Lord because we're not great at stopping and waiting for things to settle and become clear. We have culturally and practically eliminated waiting and stopping. And perhaps, just perhaps, the practice of Sabbath rest invites us one day of slow is the way to nourish our very inner lives for us to find inner peace and to acknowledge that our lives are finite and that we have freedom in the limits that are there. That, I hope, is the invitation today to us all. Abraham Heschel says, Six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing a prophet from the earth. But on the Sabbath, we care for the seed of eternity that is placed in our soul. In Judeo-Christian tradition, there's always a distinction and a tension between noise and silence, between getting through the day and getting a grip of our whole lives. And Sabbath, I would suggest, is that moment of calm, that moment where we stop and we reflect and we look at our lives under the light of eternity. And we can only do that when we stop. It's an invitation to rest. Jesus didn't command us to Sabbath. Jesus didn't command us really to do anything. He simply lived a life of discipline. He fed the poor. He cared for the hungry. He looked after those who were alone. He read his Bible. He took Sabbath. He didn't command us to do any of it. He lived it and then he said, come follow me. Come follow me. Sabbath keeping is a statement of our identity and it enacts an identity that goes against the mainstream of this life. And that is the invitation to us today. If we take Jesus as our rabbi, the quote should be behind me. 
Sabbath is a practice from the way of Jesus by which we wage a war on the restlessness of our age and instead we take on the easy yoke of Jesus our rabbi and in doing that we find rest to our souls. So I wonder what is the root of our restlessness? Why are we always running towards something, running away from something, not finding peace? Everyone will have something different as the source and the root of their restlessness. But we as human beings, our main driver is desire. We want, it's what gets us out of bed in the morning. It's what makes us do our work. It's what makes us care for other people. We want to do stuff. And desire is what gets you up and out in the morning. Thomas Aquinas, that medieval monk and a great writer in the 12th century, he was asked, what would satisfy all of human desire? What would it take? And he took his time to reply, the story goes, and then he said, you would have to experience everything and everyone. And then everyone would have to experience you. In other words, what Thomas is telling us is, you would have to, in order to satisfy all of your human desires, you would have to be infinite. And so making our peace with our finiteness, with our limits, is a real challenge, but is the route to peace. It is the route to peace. And so the other, so if we're living, we're constantly driving, we've got the, this desire, but yet we cannot experience it all. We can't live it all, we can't have it all. There are limits to what we're able to do, there are limits to what we're able to experience, and therefore we have this restlessness in our soul. I also want to speak briefly to our deepest psychological needs, the way we were wired by our neurobiology. Our three deepest needs are significance, security, and self-worth. So let's think about those for a second. Pause with me and think, where do you find your significance? Where do you find your security? Where do you find your self-worth? Because those are the things that will drive you and will speak to how you live your life. And so, for many of us, it's about our work, it's about our stuff, it's about our production, what is my identity rooted in? What is your identity rooted in? And these deep, unmet needs contribute also to our inner disquiet. And I would invite you to, to think, perhaps, of the last week and think of something that you had quite an emotional reaction to that upset you. And if you take the time to sit with that experience, I will guarantee that if you track back it will go to one of these three deep-rooted needs that felt under threat. I would, I would love to talk to anyone who finds something different, but if you track it back, these deep-seated needs for significance, security, and self-worth are the things that trigger us in our relationships and in our community and in our lives. And yet, if we look back to the Edenic plan, we were supposed to live in good relationship with one another and with God. And so God's plan, God's template for creation was to live and have all of these needs met in one another and in him. 
But as you know, we messed up and suddenly we're spending our lives trying to find our identity and our worth elsewhere. And perhaps Sabbath and stopping and waiting and resting invites us to think, what is going on for me right now? Has something happened in my week that has made me think that I'm under threat? And is my security in something other than God? I can't, and Linda commented to me, she can't, help but, she can't help but cry singing that song, The Goodness of God. And I'm right with her. Because when I look over the course of my life, I see the goodness of God in the hard days and in the beautiful days. In the days it didn't make sense, I still see his goodness. But it's only when I stop and rest and think that I get to reflect on what has happened. And I think this discipline is essential in this age of busyness and hurry. Heschel again says, Sabbath is an opportunity to build a great cathedral of time. And so, let's look at, if, you, if we're thinking that we're living in an age where we're restless and it's nothing new, we're restless and we've got these deep needs and we're not satisfied, and yet Sabbath, 24 hours every seven, to stop and to rest gives us a cathedral of time and what will we do in that cathedral of time that will perhaps restore and revive our souls so I want now just to look at the passages where the commandments were first given about this and it was beyond me to get them onto the slides so work with me if you want to take your Bibles Exodus chapter 20 I'm just going to read uh, verses 8 to 10 because this is the one about Sabbath so if we think what's happening here this is grounded in the creation story God is speaking to Moses about his people the people of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai they have been living their own way and he's saying to them this is how I want you to live this is how I want you to live remember the Sabbath and keep it holy six days you shall labour and do all of your work but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. What happened to the people of God? What happened in the next 40 years? They lived under Pharaoh. And so they'd got this template of remember the Sabbath day. It's a creation narrative. It's how you were designed to live, rest and stop. <clears throat> and then the people of Israel became slaves to Pharaoh and lived in Egypt. And they had to literally build bricks. And whatever number of bricks they built one day, there was more the next because there was never, ever enough. They never had enough and they never were enough. And they were simply building to fill for cities for Pharaoh to fill his wares in. It was fruitless, dreadful work. The brick-making culture of that day and of this day, because we're still in a brick-making culture, is rooted in anxiety. It wreaks anxiety into all who live under it. And it was the absolute countercultural to live out of Sabbath rest. And so if we go forward, 
Moses is back with the people of Israel. Forty years have passed. They're at the Jordan and they're about to enter the promised land. And so an elderly Moses is now giving them the mandate for life under God. But let's listen to it because the tone is different. Verse 12 in Deuteronomy 5. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your oxen, your donkeys or any of your livestock, or the resident alien in your towns, so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Excuse me. The tone is different. It is not a referral back to creation and how God rested on the Sabbath and then you're to rest on the Sabbath. This is now saying, you were a slave You lived under a rule that you were not meant to live under. And now you are free. So why are you still living as if you're working for Pharaoh? Why are you still living as if there's never, ever enough? And I ask myself that. Am I living as if there's never enough? Am I living as if I always want more? I'm desperate for more. I'm desperate for more stuff. There was a thing in the the book around this Uh, passage and it said that in America an average home has 300,000 items in it. Couldn't get anything for the UK. 300 and that's an average home. We are creating stuff, we are working for stuff, we are working for more. It's like we're still in slavery and the followers and the disciples of Jesus are called and destined for more. We are to live from a place of I am enough and I have enough. And I believe that the practice of Sabbath rest is what would help define our week and define our views of work and identity and what is important about us and what is important about the Lord. That is what I believe. If you spend some time this week, and I'd encourage you to do that, to think about what your identity is based on and how you can change this. And the invitation is to take 24 hours in every seven days to rest and to be. Now, as Walter Wink says, these powers are both heavenly and earthly, divine and human, spiritual and political, invisible and structured. And what he's saying the powers are is you will be living against the norm and all these powers will be coming against you. So if you start to live in a different way as a follower of Jesus, you are totally countercultural, totally countercultural, and there'll be lots of external things that will come against you and possibly the more challenging ones are the internal ones. So you're going against the cultural tide and it will require your intentionality and resolute determination to live in a different way. What are the internal things that may come against you? Well, maybe I'll just speak for myself. Greed, envy, 
discontentment, anxiety, addiction, my core needs, self-worth, significance, security. I'm basing them on other things, not simply the Lord. And I wonder if you start to do a practice of Sabbath in so small way, what will come against you? Because everyone in the room will struggle in a different way. It may be from an external force or it may be something within yourself. But I, <clears throat> I would like to invite us to start thinking, could we begin this journey together? Could we set aside 24 hours? Could we lay down the phones? And I don't say that lightly. I read something this week that before the digital revolution, our average focus time was 13 seconds. 13 seconds, you could focus on something before your mind went elsewhere. Since the digital revolution, it's now eight. A goldfish has a focus of nine seconds. <laughs> that is truly sobering. We have done something to ourselves where our capacity to focus and stop and rest is worse than a goldfish. Think of that. Sit with that. <laughs> that is what the digital age has done to us. And I, I don't need to defend the digital age. It's obviously wonderful. But, but, there is a cost. And the other thing to remember is that if you are sitting on your day of Sabbath, whatever it is, some people do it Friday night to Saturday. That would have been the Jewish tradition. Some people do it Sunday. But if you are sitting and thinking about work, from a neurobiological point of view, your brain is producing the same stress hormones as if you're in the office. So you might as well be at work. So if you're sitting on Sunday or Saturday, whenever is your Sabbath, and work starts to pop into your head, you might as well have been in work. And so Sabbath rest is an invitation to free yourself from work, but also from the worry of work, as that is as powerful as work itself. Rob Bell says, Sabbath is a day when you act like the work is done, even if it isn't. Sabbath is when you spend a day remembering that efficiency and production are not God's highest goals for your life. Joy is. Joy is. So I wonder this week as you start to, to think about the push and the pull, Ruth Haley Barton talks about it. There's a pull to follow Jesus and there's also a push to move away from things that scare us or to hold on to our self-will and our autonomy. So there's going to be resistance. Anyone who tries to develop a new practice, there will be resistance. If there's not resistance, you're probably not doing it right. So expect to, to find resistance. But who can you pull in? Perhaps it's around your tables this week that you can start to think, how can we hold one another accountable? When I, I work as a therapist with young people, and one of the things we agree is that when they come to their appointment, we leave their mobile phones at the door. And it's like wrestling it off them because it's really, really hard. And, but we get a better conversation because if your mobile phone's there and it bings, your mind immediately goes to it. Your mind immediately goes to it. So... Let's think together, and I'd encourage you this week in your tables to start to dig into this practice and to think to yourself, how can I start in small ways?
to practice Sabbath rest? What can I do differently for myself and for my family and for my community that means that I take 24 hours? And if we think of that idea that I talked about at the beginning of sitting beside the pool, maybe Sabbath rest invites us and gives us the opportunity to sit at the pool of our lives and to face what's actually going on. To face what's actually going on. Because very often when we face difficult things, we have a strategy of busyness to avoid pain. We have a strategy of production to stop facing what's actually going on in our lives. And I would suggest that if we took time every week to sit quietly and pay attention to what has happened, what we're thinking about, what the Lord is saying to us, what the Lord perhaps is challenging us on, then perhaps we would deal with things and get out of this very unhealthy but common pattern of avoiding pain. Because as we know, and as we've seen in our own lives and the lives of many, when pain is not transformed, it is transmitted. When we don't transform the pain that is in our lives, we transmit it consciously and unconsciously. And perhaps if we allow ourselves to sit with it and acknowledge it and bring it to the beautiful one, bring it to the living waters, then perhaps it is transformed and it is useful and beautiful. I want to end with this quote from Wayne Muller, should come up behind me. Because we do not rest, we lose our way. We miss the compass points that would show us where to go. We bypass the nourishment that would give us succor. We miss the quiet that would give us wisdom. We miss the joy and love born out of effortless delight. That, I believe, Redeemer, is the invitation of Sabbath rest. We are invited to find somewhere to stop and to rest and to pause and to find a compass point, go back to our compass point, which has to be the Lord, to wait for him and to trust that the waters that we're currently looking at, that they will clear, that they will clear and that the way will become apparent. That, I believe, is the invitation and the challenge of Sabbath rest. And I hope that as we journey on it together, as individuals and as, as a community, we can pull one another on and become people who live out of a place of rest and peace. And our core needs are met in the Lord and in our identity as a child of God. We talked when we blessed Hannah about how everyone carries the Imago Day, And that's what we believe as a community. And if we spend a day reminding ourselves of our identity in God, perhaps, just perhaps, we will bring his ways and his love to this community and this kingdom, to this world. I'd like to invite the band just to come now. And what I'd like to do is I'd like us to just have a little two minutes of a practice. Are you with me? Yeah? Oh, good. I suppose you don't really have a choice. <laughs> so this is a, a, a piece of a, a practice from Ruth Haley Barton's work on um, sacred rhythms, a beautiful, beautiful book. And I would encourage you to do some reading around this. But what she's suggesting is that 
we take time and we retreat and we rest, but we make it that we bring all of ourselves. So I'm going to talk you through this and the band are just going to gently play. They'll pray as well, but they'll play. Um, and what this practice does, and I'd encourage you to start making it perhaps at least once a week, and we'll put it into the tables as a resource. Um, I'd invite you, if you're comfortable, to close your eyes. I want you to settle into a comfortable position and to sit quietly, just for a few moments. I invite you to breathe deeply and become aware of God's presence with you. Become aware of your desire to be present with God. The invitation is to sit quietly at the base of the tree that is your life and begin to notice what is true about you these days. Don't rush. Don't try to make anything happen. Let your soul venture out and say something to you that perhaps you have had a hard time acknowledging. Is there a particular joy that you are celebrating today? Is there a loss that you are grieving? Are there tears that need to be shed and they have been waiting? Is there a question that is stirring? Is there an emotion that you need to express? And the invitation now is to sit with whatever comes into your awareness. Become conscious of the presence of the Lord with you in that awareness. Don't try to do anything with what you're knowing except be with it. Feel the difference between trying to fix it and just being with it. Feel the difference between trying to fight it and let God fight it for you. What does it mean for you to be still and let God fight or work for you in this particular area? However you spend your time, take time again to be still and to listen. To thank God for his presence with you. Enjoy his presence and linger in it just for a little while. Notice if he is saying anything else. And if not, don't worry. Simply enjoy his presence and his company and his promise that he will always, always be with you. Father, as we, we come to the table, the reminder of your love and your sacrifice for us, we bring the trees of our lives and we say thank you. We acknowledge 
what is going on for us. And we say, come and have your way. We're giving up control. We're giving up our desire to fix things or to know things or to have the answers. And we are saying, simply be with us, Father, for this is our deep heart's desire. And as we sit, minister to us by your Spirit in all that we need. And we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. So often in life we try to control, we try to work it out, and perhaps true faith is saying that it's beyond our control, but we trust the one who is over it all. I'd like to invite you to stand, and we're going to practice communion. We as a community, if you're a visitor here today, it's important that you know that we practice an open table, which means that the only requirement is that you want to come and you want to be reminded that the Lord has given himself for you, that you carry his image and that you are his beautiful and precious child. That's as simple as it comes. You simply say yes. So the band are going to lead us in some worship and then just come and take the bread and the wine. Dan is going to serve the wine and Matt would you do the bread? Thank you so much and the reason <laughs> I love us to look at someone when we're taking the bread and the wine is because we get to remind each other that we carry the image of God and that as I look in their eyes I see God in them and they can see God in me and there is something very beautiful and transformative about that. So let's worship, let's take our time and let's come and, and have the bread and the wine. Thank you. Our, our time is done. Um, as we say every week, if we can serve you or pray for you or walk alongside you in any way, please come speak to one of us as leaders. It would be our deep privilege and joy to do that. I just want to speak this blessing over us. It'll come up on this slide. Perhaps we could say it together. I'll say it. May this day bring Sabbath rest to our heart and to our home. May God's image in me be restored and my imagination in God be restored. May the gravity of material things be lightened and the relativity of time slow down. May I know grace to embrace my own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. May God's word feed and his spirit lead me into the wake and into the life to come. Be blessed, Redeemer.